0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shred's Takes. Glad you guys could join the show again. Um, I'm here with two guests in the women's basketball team of Amherst College, Lauren Pelosi and Danny Valdez. They're going to be rising juniors. And, you know, I'm really excited. We're going to talk about some WNBA stuff, um, also some stuff within Division One sports. So, really excited to have you guys both on. Ladies, welcome. Um, thanks, thanks for being for on. Having us, Yeah. (laughs) Glad to hear that. Um, so I guess we'll get right into it. Um, so we, so the the first question I was thinking about going through is dynasties and women's basketball and more specifically why they form and how that affects women's basketball generally. And maybe how, even with, so like, you know, we can start with those and then, you know, kind of pivot over maybe like why, uh, from those, maybe like it has some effect maybe on why the WNBA has such a low pay uh, in terms of salaries, um, you know, currently, um, even though they're working on it. So who wants to start that off?
1: Um, I can. I have some thoughts. Um, so I think if you look at who's won Division Three Women's Basketball Championships, you'll see the same teams over and over again. Um, so I think it makes sense to talk about them as dynasties and like ruling teams in the league. Um, and I think that's different than what you see in men's collegiate basketball. And I mean, in my opinion, the reason for that is, um, that women's basketball is an is not an individual game. It's more of a team oriented game. It's just the way women's athleticism works. Um, the range of athletic ability in the women's game isn't as varied as men. So you don't have a woman coming onto the team and making that team automatically a contender for a championship the way that like, if LeBron joins a team, even if that team wasn't great to begin with, like they're automatically contending for a ring. I don't think you ever see that in the women's game. Um, So if you're a woman looking to play college basketball, you need to join a team that's already had success um, or you're not going to stand out on one of those lower teams that don't usually make it too far in the tournament. So I think that's kind of a little bit why dynasties form, in my opinion.
2: Um, yeah, like going off of that, um, I know um, like a lot of women women's college basketball teams um, at the D1 level, um, it's not always – like the cert like women aren't like they're not talked about as much like the rankings and everything like that um as in like men like in high school they're talked about so much more and like hyped up so much more I know like Paige Becker is like she was hyped up but like you only hear about her and Haley Van Life like talked about all the time it, but you don't hear about like all the others and like yeah they'll probably have impact but it's not as much of an impact as like men have or like like for a team that might not be that great. Um, but like for the women's team, it's more like not going in as a freshman. Um, you're not going to like make that, maybe you might make that immediate impact, but like, it's normally like you're going to go to UConn or like Notre Dame. I mean, I don't know about Notre Dame at the moment right now because their coaching staff changed and like, they didn't really have that great of a season. Um, but then you have like Baylor, um, You have South Carolina, like those girls already established, like women already established established themselves as like great players, but they like, it's so much more of like a team aspect. They're looked at more like as a team rather than as individually. And I think that's like also shaped like the dynasty of that team and like of that program. It's just like, who's been there and like, who is there right now? Like, it's just, yeah, it's just so much more different from the men's and everything
0: like that a point i'm going to add on too is it's interesting because i was reading an article recently i forget where it was from but it was talking about how these dynasties in division one have formed today so like uconn you know baylor south carolina those schools but it was bringing an example of how some dynasties fell like louisiana tech back in the 1980s was a dynasty they had a lot of really good talent and a lot and a lot of they said was based on the fact of like the market they have built like everyone knows uconn women's basketball as like the brand and a women's basketball in a sense, right? Even if, like, you know, you have teams like Stanford, South Carolina, Baylor. I mean, Notre Dame was like a dynasty for a little while. We don't know now because obviously their situation's a little uh, messed up in a sense. But um, what I kind of attribute it to is the fact of like how good the coaching is at these levels. So, like, when you're developing those teams, you have like Gino, uh, you know, the coach at South Carolina. I'm kind of blanking on her name as at the moment. but Yeah. So, exactly. So then you have like, you know, those coaches who are already kind of established um and that also allows like players to feel more comfortable you know when like coming to those schools to like you know be able to pursue a WNBA career but a lot of times also it's really hard for them to kind of consider that WNBA career because they're saying I want to play professionally but due to the less marketing that gets developed the less fan attendance the broadcasting rights that are just a given way more to the NBA versus the WNBA the fact that the WNBA is also played in a time when the NBA playoffs are kind of rampant is also really tough um, for a lot of women in high school kind of considering going to a top-notch program. And the one thing I'll give Paige a good um, you know, credit for is that she kind of wants to break that stereotype. Like, that's kind of what her whole mindset's been. If you watch any of the ways she plays, she kind of, like, looks at, like, kind of men and kind of gives them, like, a... Like, she kind of, like, takes t- to slap to the face to her when they're all, like, kind of disrespecting her and stuff like that. Um, like her whole mindset is basically to prove everyone wrong. And I think that's great too, because I think, I mean, I think it's also really messed up how the pay is what it is in women's basketball. Um, I mean, even if it's less, it should be, you know, comparable where like at least, you know, they're not going to look to want to work in you know, finance as opposed to playing basketball. I mean, the salaries are like a hundred something thousand for a lot for you know, even top notch players, you know, like, like Sue Bird, for example, you know, didn't make, like, you know, if you compare, like, Sue one of the greatest ones basketball players who ever played, and you compare her to, like, let's just say, like, LeBron. <laughs> Look at the difference in salaries there. It's just, like, a huge difference. Or Dinah Taurasi, like, huge difference there. There's a reason why a lot of them also go into broadcasting, too, for ESPN, because they're going to make money, too, for that. And, like, Candace Parker, um, like, other ones like that, too. It's just, like, that's just kind of how it is. Like, even, like, Cheryl Miller, like, went into, you know, college basketball broadcasting. It's just... She's arguably the greatest women's basketball player to ever play. It's just, you have that kind of stigma. And I, that's where I kind of look at it too is like the dynasty is kind of formed from the coaches, but also there's also like a critique of the dynasties in the sense that with men's basketball, you have, you know, just a, a, better, a greater chance of game more pay, I guess in a way. I don't know if you guys want to touch on more on that, but um, that's what I kind of got.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think part of it and part of the dynasties in college basketball can be attributed to the fact that there's so little opportunity in terms of a professional career, um, I mean, I know I think it's like 130,000 for like the top players compared to like Steph. I think it's like 35, 34, 35 million. Um, so you're talking about a very different career. Um, so when you're thinking about what are the incentives for these women to like go to top tier schools and like create legacies, it's, it's different because they don't have. As much as an incentive to go into a professional career and it's kind of i try to think about it like is it a cycle or like what came first the fact that like the women's game just frankly isn't as widely watched the fan bases are primarily like older people that like uh like almost like the purity of the game
0: do we lose lauren i think so dan if you want to if you want to touch on that before lauren maybe can just rejoin um if you want to just touch on maybe what she was talking about where i talked about go ahead
2: um yeah i like i'm always um of course i'm like always on the women's side um about like the unequal pay um and i just like to me i just can't under like i can understand but like still can't understand why women just aren't like we literally like do the same things but it's just like i guess you can say men it's like more interesting to watch them because they're more athletic and they dunk um and there's like just like of course there's like more profit and everything um with like sponsorships and all that but it's like women they're they're also great too like they have I mean, they do like they do amazing things. Like, it's not easy to be a woman athlete and um, compete on the collegiate level. So it's like, um, it just stinks that it's like there are raises and everything, um, and people are like, it's there's always like an uproar about it, and people are always trying to make like changes, and like hopefully one day it'll like be equal or like some like close enough. Um, but it just stinks that like also women have to go overseas to like be able to keep up with like, to pay off their bills and like just enjoy the game, but also like just having to like keep up with the bills and everything like that, it just it just stinks. And like, um, I mean, of course they get sponsorships and everything, but like having to go like the extra mile and like men don't really have to do that. Like they can just stick to playing in the states. Like it just it's just so sad to see because like we like we work the same. Like we do the same things. Um, but like yeah, it's just it's just disappointing. So
0: yeah, and that's a, and the, the one thing I'll probably add um, before I hopefully Lauren j- uh, you know, jumps back in. Um, one thing I was like you know agreeing with that too is that. You know, obviously, like the one thing that happens, I think, with men's and women's, and like I'm not saying I agree with this, but this is like again that stigma around men are like you know more fun to watch because they just you know they're all six foot 6 or taller, and they all can dunk like that. That like that's just, and unfortunately, the NBA also is it's you know it's just the way it markets too. There's just a lot, like, there's a lot better marketing techniques that have been developed for the NBA, and that's not necessarily WNBA's fault. I think it's on the like, WNBA also as I think there's like half the teams or something like that, that like aren't necessarily, are not necessarily making profit right now um, or something like that, like some crazy stigma. Cause like the pay they're getting from the, everything they're, you know, receiving is just not like what the NBA gets. The NBA is, you know, a multi-billion dollar institution. And I'm pretty certain the WNBA is not that. Um, And I think that is like, you know, again, maybe like one thing that, you know, people and the players in the WNBA are doing, they're starting to advocate for that more. Like the Players Association president um and that kind of stuff they're talking about this more which again it's it's kind of like with the black lives matter movement it's going to hopefully bring that kind of attention to the game that's necessary because you're right i mean there are like i've you know i've trained with division one women's athletes too and like you know with, with, with my trainers and stuff and you know i you know yeah you might say it's a size and athletic perspective but like they they have skills that are like the same like they can all shoot they can dribble i mean it's not like you know they don't, they are you know not good at basketball i mean I mean, granted, the women's basketball team at Amherst has achieved more than the men's team. Let's just, you know, be frank about that. Like, at least in, like, the last 10 years. Um, I mean, you guys have won, I think, like, what, two or three national championships in, like, the last, like, five years? I mean, that's that's crazy. So, um, and, like, two straight undefeated seasons. So that's also, I guess, when it comes down to that, too, it's just, I guess, the, 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 if, it, if, there's, if they can find a way to market it better, that's really where it's going to help the women's game. Because it's all, like, if marketing gets you – Exposure gets you fans, um, and they, they have stars too. They like, but like you know, that's just I think really what it comes down to. Lauren, glad you could rejoin us. Um If you wanted to retouch on the point before you got cut off by the audio, um, go ahead. Uh, I know you got cut off, so just go sure. ahead.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened, but anyway, I was just saying that it's it's like a cycle because like ESPN's worried if they cover too much women's sports, and like they're gonna their ratings are gonna go down. But then again, if they start covering these sports. And like really get into the intricacies of the women's game, and really like build an appreciation for for what's going on. That's not quite as showy as men's athletics. Um, then, is it possible to to build viewership that way? Um, so I think what you need is like is media outlets that are willing to take that leap and kind of risk it on women's sports and like build as engaging you know, analysis and talk shows about women's sports as they have about men's sports, it's going to be a risk. And I don't even know if it's going to work because maybe there's just something about women's basketball that, you know, people don't really buy into. I do, but but I know there's tons of sports fans out there um, who have certain preferences.
0: I think well on those lines too. We can, I guess, get the second question. And this, this has to do with AAU basketball. So... If any of you guys have heard my past podcast, I am a very uh, big advocate against AU basketball in terms of skill development. Um, I think it hinders a lot of players' skill developments. Um, I think it's great in terms of exposing yourself to top-notch players. But I've advocated myself with men's AU basketball, and even women's to an extent too, that there is a bigger need for skills trainers and really good skills trainers because the development from AU coaches is not on par all the time. Like They're really just looking to get you to big tournaments, to get you in front of college coaches. So unfortunately, a lot of the guys who are big guys, too, are just not developing uh, the right skills all the time. They're just getting rewarded for their potential and their athleticism, which is not necessarily always going to translate to them being effective in college when a coach gets them. And then that requires a lot of skill development from the coaches when they get in freshman year, which I think could be avoided. If the AU coaches took more precedence in skill development, um, you guys can speak on it because you guys both played AU basketball in the women's game. Um, you know, like what do you see the, do you see benefits in, in the AU circuit, and also if you see there's, you know, cons as well to it. Uh, definitely speak on that because I think this topic is very important just for the youth to understand.
2: Um. So I know how you brought up, like, it's a good, AAU is a good way to get exposed and to play against other um, really talented women. Um, but through like my experience, um, I've had to go, I, I, I wasn't able to get as much, as much exposure as I would have like hoped for, um, because AAU is like pretty expensive if you think about it with all like the traveling and hotels and tournaments practice fees like all of that um so i i guess you can say i wasn't like i never did um under like i wasn't doing like under armor and nike like those leagues or anything like that um i was just like the regular like hometown um aau like not circuit but aau um, team and i felt like i didn't get as much exposure as i would have hoped for um don't get me wrong, like, the coaches were great, nice, like, great team, uh, teammates, great team, um, everyone was talented, but I just felt like I didn't have the exposure that, like, my other friends um, and teammates were getting um, from home, and I felt like I had to pay more money to be exposed by going to um, college camps, and that's kind of how I was recruited, um, more than, be- like, I always went to, like, the spooky nooks, and, like, yeah I got like looks but it wasn't like I would never play my best game like when we were playing against like a good team and there was like a ton of coaches like I never really played my best game and like I and my um I wasn't really like our play sets were not that great I would say like I mean they could have like obviously like all plays could use more work and everything like that um but like I always felt like there was always like coaches favorites who like maybe like they they paid under the table like to have their kids play more like who knows um but like I think that like in my experience um I also like worked out with a trainer um like every week or something on the weekends and um did extra work with like lifting and stuff and um through that and like doing the basketball camps like college basketball camps I was able to like be like be recruited more because like there was more D3 schools um, at the camps and like I went to like D1 like more D1 camps but that's because like they had like the advertisements that like all these other like all these college coaches were going to be there and I think that I was able to like show more of my skill like individually and like have different people like different skill sets put together on a team like randomized and like you can really tell like who works. I mean, you can tell, but you also can't tell. It's like a, like, it's like a 50-50. But, like, I felt through that process, I was, like, I felt more, like, putting myself out there more and, like, getting recruited, like, better. That makes sense. Um, So, yeah, like, the AAU circuit, I didn't really, like, it's a way to get recruited, but it's, like, also, it's, like, you're being rec- like the people who are the top recruits, that's where all the coaches are going to go. Like if you're on, if you have the same time, if you want to go to the same school that somebody who's being recruited, like a top recruits being recruited and they're like on a different floor than you and you're playing at the same time, like the chances of you getting looked at by that coach is like slim to none, like, so yeah.
1: yeah. I agree. It seems to me like it's a, it's a broken system in terms of players development. Because at least the the way AAU worked for me, I mean, we would practice two or three times a week for two hours, and that's just not the same as working at a school and really getting to know your coach and having the coach get to know you. Um, And so I found that we were often simply learning to play fast instead of learning to play well in order to get points on the board and kind of garner attention towards our courts. Because I agree with what Danny was saying, it's kind of, The the focus is centralized at certain courts at the tournament. Um, And it it makes it difficult to get seen if you're not on a great team because they need to, when they're at that tournament, they need to maximize their time. So if they're not there to see at least two players in the game, they're not going to show up to that game just to watch that one player in case it doesn't work out. So that's kind of why I think it's a little bit of a broken system.
0: I also think the lack of defense that's played in AAU is a huge problem. Um, let's just be real about it. AAU games are usually in the high 80s, to, you know, and there's all they really predicated on, right, is isolation ball and having athletic rim protectors that hopefully will stop a guy from getting to the basket. But a lot of these – again, a lot of these guards are really developed skill-wise, at least in the men's game. Because they they are able to pay money for big trainers, or trainers just you know, for example, just don't cost them a lot. They kind of change their costs a little bit depending on who the player is, um, you know. Because maybe the coach you know pays them himself, the and they don't, and the players don't have them to pay. I've been saying from personal experience, I've seen that, and with some of the top trainers, because I think some of the top trainers, like trainers, are needed even in the NBA. They're absolutely needed. But I think that if you have I think the problem with that, too, is that, like, especially in the women's game, is that the really the, the, the trainers are going to go after the best players and want to recruit them, the best trainers, I mean. So they're going to look at a player in the Nike Leagues or Under Armour and say, okay, I'm going to go train this person because they're clearly going to be in the WNBA while maybe saying, well, someone's going to play at Amherst College. Like, yeah, I want to train them, but they're playing Division three basketball. You know, who really cares about that, right? And, and, and I think that's also just a, a problem in the sense, like, in men's, I'll give it a little bit more credit in the sense that you don't necessarily have to be in a Nike team to get exposed. Um, I played for a Nike team my first two years, and then I played just with like a local kind of, you know, team that played in a bunch of local tournaments. And, you know, you get, like, I got kind of the same exposure from it because there are also camps available too that allowed me to get the exposure to Division three schools um, and some Division one IDs that I was trying to consider to go into when I was looking into college. And I think from, from a men's standpoint, that's a little bit better because there's not as many dynasties in AAU. In women's, there kind of is. If you're playing on a Nike team, you're going to get heavily looked at. You know, there's a reason why Paige is you know, regarded as one of the best players in the country because she's really good, but she also plays on a really good AAU team where she can shine and showcase her skill set. And then then you have these you know, video services like Overtime coming in and marketing these people up. And unfortunately for a lot of the kids in AAU, that's, a, that's harmful for them because they get put in these rankings from AAU and then they get to, let's say, college. They are, let's say they have a good college career or whatever. But then they get to professionally and they're in for a big culture shock. Um, you see a lot of – I mean, you know, Zion Wilmington is a, luck, is a lucky guy that he can just go in with his athleticism and just do what he wants. But there's – like not everyone's that lucky. There have been many busts in the WNBA and the NBA drafts. And they've been ranked high in high school and ranked high in college. And it's like, that's just the thing is like skill development. You have to look at the professional game and say, okay, I'm going to look, these players are, when I train them, I'm going to train them. And even if they don't play professionally, like they're going to be on that level, I'm going to teach them those skills now. Um, And yeah, I think that's just, I mean, it's unfortunate. I think that, I think for, for women's games versus men's, that, men's have a little bit more wiggle room in terms of not being on like a, a dynasty team to get exposure while I think women are a little bit caught in the in-between area um, based on what I've researched and what I've seen. Um, and I think that's like a, that plays a big role too. Um, I think the last thing I wanted to segue this to just speaking of college sports in general is, so there's been a big debate within division one sports specifically. Cause I think for division two, II, division three, d- this doesn't really matter so, like, I always, like, say I'm neutral against this because a Division three athlete, I don't really have any of, like, kind of say how this goes. But there is the idea about paying the players in Division I. Um, and my opinion on that is I think that since I would probably lean toward doing that, and the NCAA has done things where the players can get paid somehow um, through endorsements now and through uh, getting paid for other work they do outside of basketball – I think it's going to take a long time for them to pay the players because I think it's just something the NCAA, just like you know, hasn't really come to terms with, because they, you know, give these players scholarships, but these players also don't really have a typical college life that maybe Division Two player has or Division Three player has, where they can maybe, you know, interact. With, like, Division Two, II, Division Three can interact with the student body more. Division One players can't really do that because their whole job circumstance, basically, I'm going to call it a job because it is, is. Wake up, go to workouts, class, workout, practice, you know, go. You know, study hall, and then, you know, go to sleep, wake up at 5 a.m. the next day. Um, and that's kind of how it is. And I, I don't know if you guys want to touch upon that a little bit, because I think if you pay them, that gives them, it gives the higher players who are looking now, in the for men's side at least, who are looking to play in the G League or overseas out of high school, gives them an incentive to stay in college, which – cause they're saying I'll get paid for, you know, the services I provide for the school because I'm providing marketing deals. I'm providing so much money to the school through revenue streams, through television broadcasts. Uh, and anyway, you guys can take it away. I, I probably went a little too far like with my point, but that's basically where I uh, come with that is that, you know, they should get paid because they provide so much for the school.
2: Um,
1: yeah, I do wonder, that's gonna be interesting to see um, if that happens, what that does to the fanship especially like across um, men's and women's, because I mean, what I worry about paying the players is, is there gonna be corruption involved in that? Um, and I mean, we'll see how that plays out if it if it comes through. But one thing I brought up earlier about why I think people do appreciate the women's game is, and again, this word, the, like the purity of it, um, in that it's team oriented, um, their incentive to move on to a professional level and, you know, profit from the game is pretty low. Um, and so I think people do, who do appreciate women's basketball do tend to appreciate that about it. So I wonder um, how that will affect, you know, the size of the fan base if, if both men's and women's players are getting paid. Um, I also wonder how they're going to go about doing that Is this gonna be a wage based on, you know, how many hours they put in? Or is it gonna be a salary based on how much revenue the sport is bringing to the school? In which case the men are going to be getting significantly greater salaries. So I think when they approach this topic, they need to think about, you know, why are we paying these players? And what do we want to say with their payment? Um, Is this going to be a same wage for same, you know, work? Um, because the women do put in just as many hours as the men do Um, but you know just because of people's preferences the revenue that they bring to the school is lower so I'd be curious to see how that's gonna pan out in terms of wage versus salary for these players and if there will be a gap
2: yeah I totally agree with Lauren Um, and I also think like it could be a good idea um, because every year like I look forward to the new like the new class like the new freshman class um like ending up at Duke or like South Carolina or Oregon um just like all of those teams and like how they're going to make an impact on the team um and then it's just so sad like to me that like the the players they play for a year and then they decide to go to the NBA or um overseas because they know they can get more money out of that um which is, it, like, it's a good thing, like, I support that, um, but, like, it's also disappointing to see that, like, the best players are leaving the team because they decided that, like, they're not getting paid in college, so it's, like, a better move for them to go, like, when they're still, like, hot off the market, or, like, they're still, like, they get those awards, and, like, they're being talked about a lot, um, just go and play professionally, um, so I think that, it it could be a good thing that I mean, well, there's they're gonna do it, but like pay the um pay the players in college. But it also, like Lauren said, like the gap and everything like that between women's and men's um athletes, like how that would end up and everything like that.
0: Yeah, and another thing I'm gonna touch on too is the the reason I always also think about paying the players too, is what you need to do with that is have some sort of financial advisor with the players because I read a statistic the other day that Sixty percent of NBA players five years post retirement become broke because they don't understand how to manage their money. And during the season, they do because they're getting a lot of money. But like you see, like Allen Iverson didn't really know how to manage his money. Um, there's other guys too, obviously that I'm, I'm not naming. But like, you know, Jason Williams had a problem with his money as well. And I think that was um, it's due to the fact that I think when college, even if, let's say let's say they don't pay the players, right? Let's say they're just continuing what they're doing. You know, you get paid outside of what you do, and you can get spot, you know, endorsements. Okay, let's say that like, that's the, the rep. What they still need to do is still put financial advisors with the teams to teach these guys what to do, like, with their money. Because ultimately, these players are going to try and play either, either – they're going to work at a business, they're going to play overseas, or they're going to play in the NBA. Or in a, in a women's basketball scenario, same thing. Work in a, a different job, you know, work, play overseas, or play in the WNBA. So you teach them how to, you know, manage their money that's also like an incentive in a sense for like the salaries to be paid because then you get the salaries paid. You have a financial advisor saying like, okay, this is how you should manage your money. So when they go to their further careers, they're not sitting there saying like, how the hell do I manage my money? And how do I, you know, pay for a house? How do I pay, get, pay a mortgage? You know, how do I pay credit card bills, food bills, you know, water bills? I mean, you just think about of the necessities. And that's also a, a problem too is because, you know, a lot of times you don't get teach that within your team. And that, you know, happens to be a problem, too. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I guess the last thing I'm going to probably bring up, too, is, you know, what um, have you guys been doing to stay busy over this time of COVID? Um, I know it's, you know, still really unknown if our season's going to happen or not. And, you know, more and more, I'm really iffy if it will. But I don't know, like, all the circumstances or the things, but. What have you guys been doing to at least stay ready? I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, not everyone's working out like every day, but like, you know, have you guys been doing stuff to at least just keep your mind fresh and ready for fast for whatever it comes up?
1: Um, I've been trying to do as much weight work as I can from home because I'm scared to go to the gym at this point in time. Um, our trainer's been great about sending us at home workouts, um, with plenty of bodyweight stuff to do. Um and I know cardio is supposed to be done right before the season, but I've just been doing that to keep my heart healthy. Um, watching reruns of basketball here and there since there's no live basketball. I don't know if you guys saw on ESPN, they were doing, they were like playing 2K. Um, <laughs> it was it was a little bit cringy, but I, I don't know. I watched it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> How about you, Danny?
2: Um. So, I've been doing like the same thing as Lauren. Um, I actually like it was, a, it was like a post college thing that I was gonna do and like uh, for like my fitness journey, as like I guess you could say, but like I started up CrossFit um, just because I thought it was so fun. Um, like online, it looked so cool. So, like, be my, this is my second week doing it and it was like I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, and like, it's yours because like New York is still strict with um, all social distancing, and everything like that. Um, I've been watching, uh, re-watching Vampire Diaries, um, re- in there, and then a lot of grocery shopping run. I mean, like, not all the time, but like that's where I do my damage. Um, <laughs> and uh, like, I mean, I guess going on walks and stuff like that, um, not much. Really. Holding laundry, like, <laughs> I don't know. But hopefully everything works um for the spring semester and like the basketball season and everybody's season like fall, winter, spring, like hopefully everyone gets at least like a few games where, like they work something out. Because like I feel so bad for the seniors. Just like another another year. Like they just only this is like their last year and like they can't even enjoy it. And so it's so sad to see
0: yeah it's tough circumstance for everyone and it's again it's really unknown because the cases have been soaring up again because of the lack of social distancing in a lot of areas and also just like the maybe the premature reopening in some cities um and states and i guess yeah i mean like i think it's just you know with this whole thing it's uncertain right but um you know the best thing you can do is just do what you can right you know help out what you can you know do what you are. you know like what keeps you busy and like find other interests i guess and uh I guess with that, I'm going to close it, but you know, ladies, you guys were great. Thank you so much for being on. Um, You know, you know, it was really fun to talk about these topics. I definitely learned a lot about more about women's basketball than I initially knew. So I appreciate the, uh, the insight. So thank you guys.
2: Thank you so much, Mike. Had a blast. Me too.